Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for April 10th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Is and Ought, Revaluation of All Values. prayer for the children's time is my prayer today for this sermon and for the Christian church in our world today. Dear God, help us to follow Jesus. It may be the most ironic story ever told, and most Christians have never heard it. It was the year 33 of the common era that Jesus was brutally executed at the hands of Rome. Now the truth is that Jesus was not an innocent man. In the eyes of the state, he was a rabble-rouser. Keeping the peace at any cost was priority for the oppressing Romans, and there was electricity in the air when Jesus came to Jerusalem. His message had spoken to the poor and had empowered the least powerful in that society. That Passover crowd was wild with excitement, so Jesus' message amounted to sedition. It didn't matter that Jesus was preaching love and forgiveness. His message had empowered the common folk, and it's always dangerous to give power to the common folk. The most powerful rulers in the world knew instinctively, though instinctively, though they would never have admitted it, The power of Rome is no match for the love of Jesus, so they killed him. In less than 300 years, in less than 300 years, just the blink of an eye in the sweep of history, that empire that had killed the Prince of Peace became his biggest sponsor. Constantine had a vision the night before the great battle of the Milvian Bridge, the victory of which would make him the sole emperor of the Roman Empire. The vision had promised victory if Constantine's soldiers would march into battle with the name of Christ emblazoned on their war shields. They did. And Constantine and Christ conquered the world. It's ironic, you see, that the state which killed Jesus would so quickly become beholden to him for its success. But the greater irony is what Rome did to Jesus in the process. I told you that Jesus was not innocent. In the eyes of Rome, he was guilty as charged. The irony is that when Rome endowed Jesus with its power, they revalued all of his values, inverting every single one of them for their own use. The first will be last. Turn the other cheek. Blessed are the meek. Not in Rome. Take up your cross and follow me. Only if the cross 
was on the shield guiding your armies and it meant death to someone else. They endowed Jesus with earthly force and they forgot that his greatest power, the only power that really changes anything, was his love. They elevated Jesus from human to divine and they forgot that his spiritual energy had made people feel like God was right there with them. The doctrine of incarnation strangely removed Jesus from them. They teamed with the church who made worshiping Jesus central and they forgot that the only thing Jesus ever really asked of his disciples was that they put on a towel and wash one another's feet. He wasn't innocent when they killed him, but Easter came and then the, doc, the, the proclamations of orthodoxy. And we hardly have a clue anymore what the power was that raised him. Rome made him a pawn of the state. They turned him into a religious relic, a cultural icon, a superstitious totem, and we have never been able to undo what Constantine did when he co-opted the love of Jesus and the power of the secular government. In the ways that matter most, we have made him innocent, which is to say we have made him harmless. The subversive power that got him killed, that empowered the masses, his unsettling power that changed the world has been surrendered to the powers that be. What an irony. Now to be sure and to be clear, there is a dangerous power that Jesus holds. We can see it in our own culture. Jesus holds a power justifying in the eyes of some the power of government giving a kind of divine imprimatur, a stamp of approval to the state's work, even when that work runs counter to God's ways, even when that work is premised on the power and privilege and the so-called peace that got Jesus killed. But the irony that is lost on most Christians is that in associating Jesus with those powers, we deny him the true power that changes people's lives. We're living through a dangerous time in American life. In 1991, James Davidson Hunter wrote a book entitled Culture Wars, The Struggle to Define America. In the book, he identified a widening schism between conservative and progressive values. For 20 years, these wars have been playing out in our language and in our policies. Conservative Christians see the growing secularism in the country as an assault on Christian religion. There is a bunker mentality among many who see themselves hunkered down defending their religion, their way of life, their values against an ever-growing attack from the godless, the gays, those who will take their guns. That mentality is sad and dangerous. 
because the culture is changing, but it's changing as we would expect it to change and as we would hope it would change given our commitment to democracy, which is the most liberal form of governance in the world. Democracy is beautiful, but it has never been easy. The culture is changing just as we would expect it to change given our commitment to immigration. The Statue of Liberty stands in New York Harbor offering our welcome to the world. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. When we invite them, shouldn't we expect them to come? And when they come from Asia and Africa and South America and Eastern Europe, shouldn't we expect them to bring their own experience, their own language and religion, their own outlook on the world, just like we did when we came? They will assimilate, but not without changing us for the better just like we did when we came to this country. The culture is changing, just as we would expect it to change, given our commitment, our so-called commitment, to the separation of church and state. The first Baptist in America, an iconoclast named Roger Williams, influenced the words of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Williams' unshakable conviction in the liberty of conscience led him to respect people's choice to be Baptist or Jewish, Muslim or Papist, as he called the Catholics, religious or atheist. Yes, the culture is changing just as our founders designed it to change. And the fear-filled defensive response of a segment of Christianity in this country is embarrassing and scary. It is embarrassing because it sounds like the tirade of a petulant child used to getting his way, used to having all the attention. Christianity has mostly gotten its way, had most of the attention for most of the years of this nation. But the United States was founded on the freedom for all. Freedom of religion, which is freedom from religion. And treating Christianity as a kind of American religion, the default religion of the country, has weakened Christianity. As one pastor said, he grew up not knowing the difference in being a good Christian and being a good American. Many of us grew up that same way. And what we need to know is that there is a difference in being a Christian and being an American. The values are different. And the response of conservative Christians to the change in this country is scary because religion in power, that is anybody's religion 
and anybody's secular power is a dangerous thing, and it always has been. So we now have state governments defining the Bible as their state book, even though it's not. Not according to the Constitution, which promises Muslims and Jews, Unitarians and Baha'is, Hindus and Buddhists and atheists, all equal representation. And if we defined, defend that decision as they did, to base that decision on the Bible's cultural and historical significance, I quote, then we miss what is most important about the Bible, and that is that it is a spiritual book. It's not important because it's cultural and historical. It's important because it's spiritual. But in its wisdom, emboldened by the name of Jesus, the Bible in Tennessee is now no more important than is the state pastry or the state rock. You understand what happens when states get involved in the religion business. And in Mississippi, the legislature thinks they have defended Christianity by giving you the right to stand up for your religious convictions I guess they've only given these rights to Christians. I doubt strongly that a Muslim in Mississippi could stand up for his conviction to defend Sharia law. You can now discriminate against anyone you want to in the state of Mississippi if you claim you have a Christian conviction that compels you to do so. That's the law in Mississippi. And you wonder why the American church is in decline? The faithful are cheering, but they have tied the hands of religion by making it one and the same with the power of the state. You understand the danger of religion and politics together? So what are the values of Jesus? we're going to follow. The strange book of Revelation paints for us powerful images of the kingdom of God. There was persecution going on to Christians in that day and time, and John, writing a book of hope, paints a picture for what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like and what he says it will one day look like. The language is hard to understand. The beast's and the wars, the plagues, and the pestilence. Oh, don't miss the message by trying to make it read like a history book. It's not. It's a picture book. Just look at the pictures, and they will speak to you. At the center of this story is a picture of the kingdom of God with God's throne at the center. We need to look carefully at the image in the center of the kingdom of God because it tells us about the values of Jesus. On the throne is a lamb. Not the king of the jungle. There's no mighty lion of David on the throne at the center of the kingdom of God. There's a lamb 
and a lamb that was slaughtered to receive power. Now we know the rest of the story, and John knew the rest of the story. The lamb is Jesus, and John knows Jesus was resurrected, but the image he paints for us is not a resurrected lamb filled with the miraculous power to overthrow mighty Rome or to work in collusion with it. John wants us to see something very different to help us to understand what is the heart of God, what is the power of God. So the image John paints is a lamb slaughtered to receive power. And what kind of power do you get from being slaughtered? Slaughtered to receive wealth, What kind of wealth is that? Slaughtered to receive wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. These are not the values of Rome and they are not the values of America. It's a different kind of power. It's a different kind of wisdom. It's a different kind of wealth. It's a different kind of blessing. And here's the point. The kingdom of God does not look like the kingdoms of this world, any of them. The love of Jesus is not anything like the power of the state. Jesus' values are completely upside down. The world tells us what is. Power is, privilege is, priority is, and Jesus tells us what ought to be. If we have those values, we ought to lead with love and understanding and welcome and forgiveness and mercy and a whole lot of humility. And I don't hear that very much coming out of the church these days. I don't know about you. An election year is a great year to think about our values because we hear so much about them, right? And this year, with so many words of of the culture war being lobbed at us, we should be particularly aware values. And the followers of Jesus need to understand what kind of power resides at the throne of God or we will be tempted to follow what is instead of what ought to be. Do you understand? Will you follow Jesus? May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, 
and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.